0: listening to the vintage church podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, there are times that God just plants me in a specific place in scripture. Like I, I can't uh, I just get stuck there and it's like God's just said, all right, I want you to stay here until I tell you to move. Like read these passages of scripture over and over and over and over and over and over again and like don't move from that passage of scripture until I tell you to. I see some people nodding your head so you can feel me, come on, say amen. Amen. And that there's times that he does that because there's things that I believe that he's trying to write on my heart that he wants us to learn as a church. And if you're new to vintage, first of all, uh, my name is Matt. I get to be one of the pastors here. And kind of the way that we approach Sunday morning sermons, people ask me all the time, is like, how do you decide what you're going to preach on? And really, it just comes straight out of, of my journal. Most every sermon that I've ever preached, every series, is something where God is just taught me something. He's written something on my heart and then just kind of led me to preach that thing. And I think that that's the best way for a preacher to preach because for a preacher to teach you something that God has not taught him is a dangerous thing to do. Come on. But there's some times that like God plants me in scripture and, and for a long time I believe like like this is kind of just for the most part for me, for some things he's trying to teach me, because it doesn't come in the form of sermons. It just comes in the forms of, of like line, one-liners and notes in a journal and a bunch of scribble that I know I understand, but if you tried to read it, you would think I was crazy and you'd never come back here. This is going to be one of those series. Um, and I always get a little anxious in preaching these. Because it's really personal, and and it's it's a struggle, and again, it it makes sense to me, but I don't know if it's going to make sense to you. And so, uh, today we do that. Because several months ago, I felt like God leading me to just kind of take up roots around the life of a man named Elijah. Now, and Elijah is one of those, those characters in Scripture that, that is bigger than life. I mean, if you don't know the Bible, if you don't know Scripture, I mean, like, you know, you've got a handful of, like, well-known, like, legends in Scripture, and Elijah is definitely one of those. And maybe you didn't grow up in church, and maybe you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but in the Old Testament, God would raise up these men and women to be his mouthpiece, and he called them prophets. And I know when you hear that word, like if I walked up to you today and said, Hello, I'm Matt, I'm a prophet, you'd be like, Bam, get out of here. Like it freaked most people out. Like this word, because people have misused it, has a really weird connotation. You with me? Come on, say amen. Amen. Talk to me, church. Let me hear you one more time. Come on. And, but a, a prophet essentially was somebody who was the mouthpiece of God. It was a person that God would raise up in a generation or in a season or in a city. To be the voice of God. And most often it was because the voice of God was being drowned out by everybody else. Like there would be things happening in culture that were so contrary to what God wanted for his people. That he would move on the heart of somebody to call them back to the one true God. And that's the case especially with Elijah. He was raised up by God in the midst of one of the most Crazy, religious, melting pot, madness eras in the history of the nation of Israel. Because it was the time, and, and, and if you've heard the nation of Israel known as God's chosen people. And what that means is that was the, the, the line, the nation that God would choose to bring Jesus to the earth from. And they had to, God had to pick somebody, some nation, some group of people to bring Jesus to the planet. And it was just so happened that was his plan. That was what he ordained. And all throughout Scripture, we see God trying to move his people into who he created them to be and use them in ways that he wanted to use them. And when Elijah comes on the scene, there's a guy who's king over Israel, who Scripture says did more evil than any other king Israel ever had. His name was Ahab. And he was married to an even crazier woman named Jezebel. I think that's just a fun name to say, Jezebel. Like, ladies, if anybody ever calls you a Jezebel, it is not a term of endearment. (laughs) And like you had this powerhouse couple of crazy leading the nation of Israel. And see, what was going on is there was a lot happening, and, and, and when they would begin, the nation of Israel would begin to drift away from God, and it never would turn out well for them. I found that to be true in my own life. Have you? Like when I start doing things in a way contrary to the way God wants them to be done, it typically does not go well for me. And that was happening in the nation of Israel. But what was crazy is they knew things weren't going well, so they would try to find these gods because they knew they needed something bigger than themselves. And so they would try to find a god to fit the situation that they were struggling in. So like when things weren't going well and and, and the earth was dry and crops weren't being produced, they started worshiping a God they believed that would produce the the fruitfulness of the ground that they thought they needed. And so Ahab starts worshiping this false god called Baal and, and, and Asherah. And he puts up an Asherah pole and all these different idols and all these different things to these false gods. And people start kind of leaning in and following the direction of this crazy person. It's funny how when the masses start moving in one direction, ignorant people tend to follow. I'm just going to kind of leave that there, let y'all interpret that a little bit. And so God goes to a man named Elijah. And it appears that he is the lone voice of God in this situation. And starting in 1 Kings chapter 17 and for several chapters, you see God use this man to be his voice. In the midst of so much noise that's contrary to God, this man, Elijah, is, comes up to speak for, for God and to be used by God and to call people in to authentic belief in the one true God. And as you read his life, it's, it's a fascinating story. And as big a character as Elijah is, the reality is we have a really small window of his life. You would think as, as, as famous as Elijah has become and as big a character as he has become in, in, in our faith, that you would think you would have this big, huge, almost novel about all that he did and all that he experienced. But you just have a handful of chapters. And for the next few weeks, we're going to kind of dig into those chapters. And, and I'm just going to share with you some things that God has been teaching me as he encounters these different people and places and situations. And today, as we step into 1 Kings chapter 17, we see this beautiful story. And, and the, the one word that I could use to describe what, what happens over this chapter is the word provision. Say it with me. Provision. 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 I appreciate the 20 of y'all who said that with me. Like, provision is a word that when you, like, even, even when you say it, maybe you don't understand it. But, like, God is our provider. The Old Testament have, had these different names for God where they would, they would say Jehovah, which was kind of this word for Lord. And then they would have another title that would follow that. And, and one of the most beautiful in the Old Testament was Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. And the provision of God is a really weird, complex, complicated thing in most of our minds. Because when I start talking about the provision of God, you automatically begin to kind of have some type of opinion formulated about what that is, what it looks like, what it means, what's required to have it. The provision of God. But when I talk about the provision of God, I'm talking about where God has showed up in your life. And had he not, you would no longer be with us. Most of us in this room should not be here today. I mean like... There have been so many times we, it, things should have been done, whether we should have physically died or whether we should have given up on our faith or whether we should be in jail. Some people in the room. Some people are like, I just got out. Welcome. We love you. Like, God's provision. And you know what? As I read this story and I, and I began to look back in my own life, like, the only reason why I'm standing on this platform is the provision of God. Let me, can I remind a little bit, if you don't, if you don't know my story, like, my biological mom was 16 years old when she gave birth to me. Military brat. Marines. I was born in 1978, five years after Roe versus Wade. And I can only imagine as you go through, you show up at high school between 15 and 16 year old in 1978 in Jacksonville, North Carolina, where all the Marines are. And you walk in, you got that little baby bump going. I'm thinking the easiest thing for me to do would just be to get rid of this pregnancy so I don't have to deal with all this anymore. The fact that I have life is a testament to the provision of God. The fact that I didn't grow up bouncing around from foster home to foster home or some crazy situation, but I got to be put into the home of two people who deeply love Jesus and have shown me what that means throughout my entire life is a direct indication of the provision of God. And like I could walk you through so many moments in my life where only God Only God. The fact that this church exists. Only God. I mean, every instance in my life, only God. And so what I hope to accomplish by the end of our time together today is for you to realize how much you need the provision of God and how real His provision is. Because there's some people in the room... You're already doubting. You're like, man, if you could see my life, if you knew my story, if you knew all the junk I've had to deal with and all the scars I had to show for all the things that I have experienced, you would not dare talk to me about provision. And so maybe I'm not a good example, but Elijah's a great one. Like maybe you look at me and you say, you know what, Matt, you can't talk about provision because you've just been privileged from the day you were born. You got to be put in this home. You got to have these things. And I, and I grew up with great parents. And I grew up with a lot of advantages. And I grew up with, in, in the home of two people that were, that were educated and, and, and ambitious and did the things that they needed to do to provide for me. And in so many ways, I have. I'll be honest with you. I've lived such a charmed life compared to probably some of your stories. But I got a Bible right here. That's full of people that experience God's provision in the most difficult and challenging circumstances. The people that brought us scripture did not live charmed lives. The people that could most testify about the provision of God experience it in the most crazy circumstances. Because see, Elijah, if you could say what was the hallmark of Elijah's life, it was provision. That it, had it not been for the provision of God, Elijah would have been dead. He had a very powerful king that hated him because he told him like it was. Like when you meet Elijah, we hear that he's Elijah, he's from Tishbe. We know very few details about his life, and then boom, he jumps on the scene. And he basically says, Ahab, guess what? You are a crazy person. Like, you have been so disobedient to God, and guess what? Because of your disobedience to God, it ain't going to rain till I says it, say it will. Like, we're about to hit a drought. And not like the drought where, like, we had two days of rain, and they're on the news saying, we're getting a drought. You know, I'm talking about for real. Like, a drought that threatens, like, the kind of drought where, like, again, like, these people, when you didn't have a, when you had a drought, like, you, water, they, they, they didn't go to Walmart and buy a bottle of water. Y'all remember Y2K? Anybody remember that? I think my mother-in-law still has bottles of water under her table because she was convinced the world was ending on Y2K. Some of you are like, I was born in like 2001. What are you talking about? You're a baby. Shut up. (laughs) Like when famine was spoke of in the Old Testament, it meant like people are going to die. Because there's no, going to be no water, there's going to be no food. Like, this is, this is as bad as it can possibly get. And you know what? When, when food got scarce, people, people got territorial. I mean, uh, like it created absolute chaos. And so you can imagine when Ahab looks at Elijah and, 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 and says, hey, this, this whole drought thing is coming. like, he blamed Elijah. And the drought did come. And when we step into chapter 17, basically we're we're moving into this phase in the nation of Israel that Elijah said was going to happen. He said there's a drought coming, and it did. And God is providing for Elijah all throughout this season in order for him to continue to be the mouthpiece of God. And in in 1 Kings chapter 17, you see the provision of God working in the life of Elijah and other people that Elijah gets to encounter. And so I want to walk you through this beautiful story. And I just want to make some observations about provision. And I want to tell you kind of the roadmap of how I think we unleash provision in our lives. Go to First Kings chapter 17, verse 2. If you're with me, you're ready, say amen. First Kings chapter 17, verse 2. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kereth ravine, east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So here, Elijah's really on the run for his life. And he says, in order to save your life, this is what I want you to do. I need you to go leave where you are and go to this place called the Kareth Ravine where there's going to be a brook and there you will be able to have fresh water to drink. And I'm going to provide you with food by the ravens. And this wasn't Mr. and Mrs. Raven. This was like bird ravens. First observation I see about provision is where God guides, He provides. Where God guides, he provides. He says, hey, I need you to leave where you are and go to where I'm telling you. And if you will do that, if you will follow my direction, you will experience my provision. That's good. Let me say that again. If you will follow my direction, you will experience my provision. Like my provision is connected to your willingness to surrender to my direction. Like, you can stay where you are and die, or you can go where I'm leading you to go. You can follow my direction, and when you follow my direction, you will experience my provision. Somebody in this room needs to learn that. Maybe you're not experiencing God's provision is because you're refusing to follow his direction. And there's times when God's direction does not make sense. And maybe you're not following God's direction because you're waiting for it to make sense and therefore you're not experiencing God's provision. Can I just let you know something? God's direction never makes sense. If it makes sense, it probably ain't God's direction. Anybody else testify? Come on. I mean, number one, like if I'm I'm Elijah, I'm like, God, but like it's me and you, man. Why am I running from this punk? No, I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna look him dead in his eye. I'm gonna say, no rain. (laughs) What? Isn't it funny how like sometimes the way God provides, the way God gives you rest is he calls you to retreat. You hear that? Sometimes God's calling you to rest, and it looks like retreat. Somebody in this room needs to learn that message. That like you need you need to retreat. You need to follow God. Where God guides, he provides. His direction is always connected to his provision. And if you want to experience his provision, you have to follow his direction. He says, hey, Elijah, this is what I want you to do. And he's very specific. He says, go to the Careth Ravine. There you're going to find a brook. You're going to have water there. And don't worry about food. I'm going to provide it by ravens. Because God is supernatural and he's powerful. And he can even direct ravens to give you food. Like God can give you supply from the craziest source. Let's keep reading. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Second observation. The place of provision is not always permanent. The place of provision is not always Permanent. So it says for some time later, we don't know how long. I, will, I don't know if it's four days or four weeks or, I don't, I, or four months. But for, after a season, there came a time when the brook dried up and the ravens were no longer coming. And now I think most of us in that moment, you know what we do? We get mad at God. Like, no, like I like, I like, I like drinking from the brook. I like catching the food from the ravens. I named that one Teddy. We've become friends. And like, this is how I, 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 I want to I just stay here. But he's saying, you know what? This place of provision is no longer permanent. It's time to move on. So there's some people, the reason why you're not experienced the provision is because somewhere, somewhere along the way, the supply in that place has run dry and God has called you to move and you stayed. And God's looking at you and there's like, there's not anything for you here anymore. For you to continue to get my provision, you got to move to the next bu- place. See, we don't like that, do we? Come on, are you with me? Am I making any sense? See, the place of provision is not always permanent, and, and we want it to be. We want it to look like it's always looked. We want him to supply like he's always supply. Or here's what we think. You know what I think? I just wonder, did, did Elijah, when the brook run dry, think, God, what have I done to cause you to make this brook dry up? Because we automatically believe that the mess we're in is a result of the mistakes we've made. But it's not always the case. The brook didn't run dry because Elijah, didn't, because Elijah had done something wrong. The brook run dry because the supply was now in another place. I'm preaching, Greg. I'm preaching this. I can. That blows my mind. Because you know how many times... Like, I've stood, and I've asked God, like, why, God? Like, like why is it no longer here? Why do we do not have this? And God's looking at me, he's like, because you ain't, it's time to move on. It's run its course. The supply has run dry, not because of your mistake, but because it's time for you to move. And you can stay here and complain about the dry brook, or you can follow my direction to the next place. And so many of us don't want to do that. We'd rather stay where we are and complain about our current circumstances then follow his direction and experience something fresh. That's good preaching, Pastor Matt. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get too attached to the place where the provision is now because there may come a time when God says, it's run dry, that supply is over, it's time to go here. And you notice what he says? He said that he uses the same phrase. You're gonna see this phrase a couple of times. He says, I have directed. Like you gotta believe that when you go, God's gone ahead of you. Says like, I'm asking you to move, but I've already moved. And so I'm really just, I'm asking you to follow. I'm not asking you to get ahead of me. I'm not asking you to go out and take a risk. Like, like you can move because I've moved. And like, so you, follow me like you have to make sure that you don't move before he does because when i say oh the place of provision isn't permanent it's really easy to think well my place has run dry i need to go you can, you move too soon it's a problem you move too late it's a problem which is why you got to be really in tune with the holy spirit of god and really in tune with his voice in such a way that you know when to move because if you move too late you starve to death if you move too soon when you get there there's nothing there for you yet A place of provision is not always permanent. Let's keep reading. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called again, Bring me, please, a piece and bring me, please, a piece of bread. So God says, go to this place because there's a widow there that you're going to meet, and I'm going to use this widow to supply you with what you need next. And he sees this widow, and she's gathering up sticks. He says, hey, would you, would you grab me a drink of water? Which would have been a big ask even then, because remember, we're in a drought. For her just to even spare a little bit of water would have been a lot to sacrifice. He says, hey, and, 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 and also, would you please bring me a piece of bread? And I just picture in this mind, like she holding her stick and she just stops and she goes, (sighs) like, all right, prophet, you have me a glass of water, but a piece of bread, child, you know my situation. (laughs) Verse 12, as surely, this is the widow speaking, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour and a little bit of oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we will eat it and die. She was a cheerful woman. (laughs) Like you go from ravens in a brook to this woman? Like really God? Like of all the widows, I had to pick her. The one who... It's Ms. Cheerful. And sometimes I even wonder, like, Elijah, like, God, did I get the right widow? Why couldn't you give me, like, one that was at least her husband left or something? And I remember, like, we don't know how far into the drought we're in. And so people, many people have probably already died. There would have been a lot of probably widows at that time because people would have been dying. And, and, and especially in that culture, probably the men would have sacrificed their, their willingness to eat so that their wife and their children could eat. And so men would be dying off. And so widows would be probably pretty prevalent. And so if I'd been Elijah, I'm like, never mind. Hey, you. <laughs> when he meets this widow, we don't even know her name. But the one that God directs him to says, you know, can I just tell you, here's my plan for the day. Eat, die. (laughs) Like eat and then just wait for the sweet kiss of death because I have just enough flour and just enough oil to go home and bake one last meal for me and my son. And now, again, I think most of us, would have moved on to a different person. But this is what God taught me in this observation. Next observation. God promises supply, not surplus. God promises supply, not surplus. You need to learn this. That God's provision is about supply, not surplus. That he he guarantees you to have everything you need, not all you want. So you got to misunderstand provision. See, some of y'all are missing provision because you think it's about surplus when it's really just about supply. Like you're complaining, oh, God doesn't provide in my life because if he did, I would have this and I would have this and I would have this. Like, can I just break it really? You're here. You're alive. You have breath in your lungs. You have clothes on your back. Come on. Like just the fact that you woke up this morning is an example of the provision and favor of your heavenly father. And if you don't learn to appreciate all the provision, you'll never experience all that he can provide. It's like we are so spoiled as a people. And we doubt what God can do so much. You know what? She didn't have a lot, but she had enough. Because a little can go a long way when it's entrusted to our God. See, God God promises supply, not surplus. And in this moment, Elijah can recall, hey, God's used supernatural measures before to give me my supply. You know, when I went to that brook, that wasn't surplus. I had just enough river to drink from for just enough time to make it happen. And like dominoes wasn't delivering, the ravens were. And so he says to the woman, check it out, verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me and from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son don't be afraid now I don't think he's saying don't be afraid to be obedient I think he's saying like like don't be afraid like like death is scary And I know that right now you you are afraid, and you think that there is nothing that's possible in this moment. But let me tell you something: you don't need to be afraid because God is about to do something powerful. God is about to do something supernatural, and it's not about being afraid to be obedient. It's He's calling her not to be afraid of death, but He gives her very specific instructions. He says, first go home and before take what little bit you have and make me just a small loaf of bread. And then make yourself some. And I think she's probably thinking, boy, you don't know how little I got. But then he says this, verse 14. But if you'll do that, if you'll follow the direction, here will be the provision. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil, will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land says so if you'll do this if you'll take what little bit of flour and what little bit of oil that you have and give me the first loaf instead of the leftovers then I will multipl- God will multiply what you think is a little and make it a lot that's a principle we see all throughout scripture church this principle of first He says, you know, because I'm like, like, all right, bro, listen, that's a good plan. But I tell you what, I'll make me a little bit. And when I've had enough of my full and my son has had enough of his full, if there's any left over, I'll I'll throw you the crumbs. That's exactly how we continue to treat God to this day. Like, God, I'll give you the scraps. When I've done all the things that I want to do with my time and my money and my energy and my resources, and if there's anything left over, then, God, I'll happen to give it to you. So if you'll bless me enough to let me do what I want, then I'll do what you need. Gives him very, very specific instructions. And then verse 15. Now look, verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah told her. Now I think at first glance, we, we think, oh, what a woman of faith. She must have been like great Aunt Myrtle. She must have been so faithful. But you know what? This, let me give you this observation. Sometimes... Authentic faith can come out of absolute desperation. Sometimes authentic faith can come out of absolute desperation. Because here's what I think like, what sometimes what is certain is more scary than what's uncertain. Here's what she knows I got enough to go home and eat one last meal and die. So if I do it the way I had planned, I know what's gonna happen. But I got this crazy prophet giving me a potential alternative that could radically alter my future. And so you know what? I'm going to roll the dice because the potential of life is greater than the certainty of death. So I'm going to do what the prophet is calling me to do. And she does, that authentic faith is born out of her absolute desperations. You know how many times in my life, like I had to go God's way because I knew not going God's way, I knew how that was going to turn out. I didn't know how following God may turn out. I was, you know, can, can I let you on a little secret? Judgment-free zone, we in the safe tree? I don't know that I've ever had a time when I've been obedient to God And I've been 100% certain of what would happen. I don't know of a single time. I don't know of a single time when I've operated in absolute, complete obedience that God has not provided for me. It didn't maybe look like I thought it was going to look or come in the time I thought it was going to come, but he has always provided. And so she goes. And she makes it. And I'm running out of time and I don't care. I do care because kids' ministry, they don't your kids are going crazy right now. First Corinthians seventeen. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. God does what he says he's gonna do. So every day she went back, made a cake of bread, had enough for her, for her son, and for Elijah. And I'm sure every day she went in thinking, we'll see tomorrow. And every day she went back, there was still enough. And every day she went back, and there was still enough. And every day she went back, and there was still enough. Like, like her faith was demonstrated in her willingness every single day to go back to the jug in the jar. Like every morning she probably woke up thinking, Oh, I hope there's still enough today. But you know how you know she believed? She went back to the jug in the jar. I don't know that every time she walked in thinking, Oh, this is going to be enough because, God, you're good. And you're who you say you are. I think she's thinking, Dear Jesus, hope there's enough. You ever had one of those moments? Come on. Like, Dear Jesus, I hope you show up because I'm going to kill him if he walks in that door right now. Or that child, dear Jesus, you better intervene or I'm going to strangle her. Dear Jesus, you better show up or I'm not going to make rent. Dear Jesus, you better show up because I don't know how I'm going to eat. She keeps going back and every single day, God shows up. But that's not the end of the story. See, something happens next that happens to us all. See, we don't know how. Again, look at uh, verse 17. Sometime later. Again, sometime later. The next verse is sometime later. I don't know how many days this was, but I imagine, let's just say it was, it was 10 days. For 10 days, she went back. And I don't know. After 10 days, I'm thinking, God is good because I have one day and now I've made it 10. That is an example of who God is and what He's capable of. And it's amazing how God is so good until we experience something so bad. Because look what happens next. Look at verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and finally he stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin And kill my son. So in the midst of this day after, this daily continued provision of God, she shows up one day and her son, her precious baby boy, is now no longer breathing. And all of a sudden, the goodness of God is gone. Like I think even even maybe that day, she cooked a cake of bread and she walks in and like, he's not breathing. And now all of a sudden, the God who had been so faithful day in and day out, she's not so sure about anymore. That ever happened to anybody in the room? Elijah lays on the boy, does some powerful things, and a miracle happens. Look at verse 22. It says, The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then this is, this is the part that puzzles me. Look at verse 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you're a man of God, and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now you know? Now like every single day, there's been flour and there's been oil. Every single day for all this time. And now you know? Like, <laughs> this didn't tell you? The miracle of the jar and the jug wasn't enough? See, because here's, here's my last observation. The feeling of present pain can erase the memory of past provision. The feeling of present pain can erase the memory of past provision. See, the pain of her moment caused her to forget about the provision that had been happening. The pain of today was overshadowing the provision of yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. And so many of us find us in that place where we, we have watched God work, we have seen Him move, and then all of a sudden we go through something catastrophic or something tragic or something difficult, and all of a sudden we allow that pain to erase all the power of the provision of the past. And what happens when that happens is we get distracted and we begin to step outside of the will of God. We get to stop following the direction and then we really lose sight of the provision because the pain pulls us off the path of provision. Because we forget about it. We lose sight of it. Because see, here's the reality. The God in the death of the Son was the same God in the jug and the jar. And I need you to remember that this morning. Because the provision of God is real. You know it. You've had a jug and a jar. Amen? Like you've had a moment. You've had moments throughout your life and you've seen the provision of God. But there's going to come another moment. It's going to be hard and it's going to be painful and it's going to cause you to question whether or not God's provision is still there. And if you allow that to happen, you will step outside of the direction and you will not allow yourself to stay on the path that will lead to provision. And you need it. You have to have it. So, you want the provision of God? Let me give you three quick things to do. You want His provision. I hope you do because you need it. you got to have it. You will die. Something will die. If you, don't, if you don't have God's provision, your marriage will die. Your relationship with your kids will die. Your career will die. Like, it will die. You will die. In, in, in Elijah's case and the widow's case, without God's provision, they both die. It's the same for you. Without God's provision, you'll die. You with me? Say amen. You will die. Some, without God's provision in whatever area, eventually it will lead to death. So if you want God's provision, number one, hear the direction. The direction is connected to provision. Where is God calling you to move that you've been refu- refusing to move? What is God calling you to do that you've been refusing to do? Where is he calling you to get up and move and go and place your foot and place your life and put yourself that you've been refusing to do because you're scared, because you don't understand, because it doesn't make sense or whatever? Where, hear his direction. Are you in a place to hear his voice? Two, go the distance. The distance between where you are and his provision may be a lot of things, but it's closed, that gap is closed by faith, by your willingness to go. You gotta go the distance. Elijah had to go the distance of the Careth ravine to Zarephath to find the widow. The widow had to go the distance of making the first loaf instead of giving the leftovers. Like you're gonna have to go the distance. Three, endure the distraction. The death of the son was really just a distraction from the enemy to cause her to lose sight of the real power provision of God. Bow your heads. Close your eyes with me. I want to talk to the people in this room right now that you know you're desperate. Like you know you have an area in your life that if God doesn't provide, if God doesn't show up, if you don't have God's provision, it's, something's going to die. A relationship's going to die. Career's going to die. Financially, you're going to die. Something is, something is going to end badly. If that's you, will you stand to your feet? Because I want to pray for you. Like, Matt, I, I, I need God's provision in a very specific area of my life. God knows it, and I know it. And if God doesn't show up, this area of my life is going to die. Would you just stand to your feet right where you are? I want to pray over you that you will have the courage to hear the direction and go the distance and endure the distraction so that God's provision can be unleashed in your life in whatever form and fashion and area that it needs. There's more people that need to be standing right now. Stand up. Come on. I'm going to trust God's provision. I've had the jug, and I've had the jar. I've seen it. I know it. It's there. I need to trust it. I need to follow it. I know He's going to provide. I know He's going to fill in the gaps. I know right now, the situation that I'm staring at seems really big. The debt is too much. The relationship is too broken. The thing is too difficult. And if God does not intervene without God's provision, we will not make it. And today, I'm going to do everything I can to trust that God will provide like He always has, and He always will, and I'm going to put my heart and my life and my trust in Him to move and to work out that I'm going to keep going back to the jar and the jug, trusting that there's flour and there's oil, and I'm not going to let myself be distracted because I'm going to know how He's provided before me before, and I know He will provide for me again, and I will do my part to meet Him where He's calling me to go and experience what He has for me. Father, I pray for these ones who are standing, Lord, and I pray that as we worship you right now, that your spirit would speak, that you would minister, that you would call people to yourself and use this for your good and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with us. Let's worship. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.